Welcome to the Overcoming Adversity podcast presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals that help listeners tackle the storms of life and become more resilient. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. It's such an honor to be here with you. Uh, like President Bateman, my mind was flooded with the memories that brought me to this moment. And I'm, I'm so honored to be among you and grateful for my family who are here. And very honored to see all of the students in the College of Nursing in front of me. I don't often get to see them all at once. And I'm glad to see that you got up and showered and you look really good today. This year, Brigham Young University College of Nursing celebrates its 50th anniversary. It all began in 1952. That year, David O. McKay was our prophet, Dwight D. Eisenhower was our president, and Dick Clark began American Bandstand. The College of Nursing held a fashion design contest for the nursing uniform. Students wore this winning entry. Thank goodness for men now in the profession, or we may still be wearing that little dress to school every day. A lot has happened in 50 years. Though nursing began at BYU in 1952, church leaders through the Relief Society had always supported nursing education. Belle Spafford was then president of Relief Society and served on the panel of judges for that winning nurses' uniform contest. Sister Spafford received an honorary degree at BYU commencement the same year the Nightingale Pledge was taken by the first BYU nursing graduates. Today is her birthday. Born October 8, 107 years ago, Sister Spafford was the general president of Relief Society for nearly 30 years, from 1945 to 1974. Those were my growing up years. Through my mother and grandmother, who spoke her name in reverence, Sister Spafford was my first exposure to the work of Relief Society. Over the last decade, the College of Nursing has adopted a theme I would like to explore today from the line of the third verse of the hymn that we just sang, written by Susan Evans McLeod and Newell Daly. The line is, I would learn the healer's art. Our heritage of learning the healer's art began at the very dawn of the restored church. Soon after Relief Society was organized in 1842, the Prophet Joseph Smith set apart noble and lofty women to go about among the sick and minister to their wants. When the saints arrived in the Salt Lake Valley, Brigham Young established a council of health. Women were sent east to medical school. By 1873, the year of the graduation of Linda Richards, the first professional nurse in the United States in New England, President Young called for three women from each ward in the church in the West to study nursing. Eliza Snow personally traveled the valley recruiting nursing students for what she called for Zion's sake. The first classes were taught by the lady doctors of the church. Graduates were blessed and set apart for their professional work. One of my favorite images is the picture of Dr. Ellis Shipp surrounded by her nursing students. As a dean, I wish I could sit in my Sunday best, bedecked with flowers, surrounded by adoring students with tidy coifs and starch white uniforms. 
1898, the Relief Society School of Nursing was begun. Sister Emma Empey served as superintendent of the school and supervisor of charity nursing during its entire tenure. She was the Florence Nightingale of BYU College of Nursing. Tuition was $50 for the entire program. Graduates were set apart by priesthood leaders and honor-bound to serve where needed and to charge no more than $6 a week. Those early nurses were not only trained in the latest science, but they faithfully learned and practiced the art of healing. They saw their work as a spiritual calling. They often stayed with families for whom they cared. They prayed with them and for them, and they called for the elders for priesthood blessings. The Women of Relief Society founded the Deseret Hospital in 1882 specifically to provide quality scientific care in an environment of faith and healing. By 1905, Grove's LDS Hospital was established, which became the mother school of the University of Utah and Brigham Young University Colleges of Nursing. It's an honor to serve among faculty and students with such heritage who tempered their fascination with science with a devotion to the Lord and who understand that it's the Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the source of all healing. I've shared before my memory of the first day that I set out to practice healing. It wasn't quite 50 years ago, but close. I could hardly sleep the night before my first day as a nurse. I remember so vividly the spring air was cool and the sun seemed unusually bright. Two conflicting feelings left my heart pounding. First, I felt courage, and I couldn't wait to put the first tube in the first orifice. <laughs> On the other hand, I was afraid that by sheer inexperience, I would violate the promise to do no harm. As a student nurse, I didn't have the blessing of the computer-simulated patient that our students have today. At BYU College of Nursing, students can program a mannequin they call Sam to have any illness or injury. He responds to their treatments and drugs, and student nurses have actually killed him a few times. <laughs> but they've also learned how to resuscitate him as well as any doctor on TV. That first day, I carefully pulled on my support hose and put on my little white nylon dress and my ugly prescription shoes, but my crowning glory was the starched white cap that held my long hair tucked quite tightly beneath. I couldn't wait to handle the instruments, titrate the fluids, and perform the treatment procedures. I wanted to cure. I wanted to care. I wanted to heal. I've learned a lot about healing since that day. I've learned that healing is a process of restoring and becoming whole. This morning I would like to share six lessons that I have learned about the healer's art. First, healing hurts. When I was a young nurse in the hospital, hardly a day went by that a patient did not ask, will it hurt? If I had been truthful, the whispered answer would nearly always have been, Yes, it will hurt. I have learned that healing hurts. Life hurts. Healing really only begins when we face the hurt in its full force and then grow through it with the strength of our soul. 
For every reward of learning and growing, some degree of pain is always the price. Author Scott Peck reminded that if you do not want love or pain, you must do without many things. I think you would do without dating, graduating, getting married, or having children. Sometime in your life, you will likely know a crashing crisis or a heavy heartache that will threaten all sense of logic or hope or certainty, and from which, no matter how you emerge, nothing will be the same. Hurts come as unique losses, as unfair surprises, as fading hope or grief. This semester, you may not get the 4.0 grade point average you need to keep your scholarship. You may not get your first choice in graduate school or career or even your major. Perhaps that special person did not have the same hopeful revelation you think you had. <laughs> Maybe this is the best you're ever going to look. Maybe someone you counted on wasn't there for you. Perhaps someone in your past hurt you deeply, and you can never change that. I know that pain. Also, I live a little of every day waiting for heaven to see my son and mother again. Last semester, two of our nursing students lost their fathers. I imagine that no success in school or career or life will be quite the same for them. Some of us suffer the wrenching consequences of sin or just poor judgment. Many of you may now be entangled in activities with others or perhaps on the internet that you wish you had never started. Or you may have fallen into a trap of debt. We hurt when we see our own failures or helplessly watch unwise decisions of others. Our lives are changed forever, not only by the pain, but by facing our need to heal. Sometimes we simply have too many demands or feel like we just don't measure up. The hundreds of additive stresses of daily life can drain hope and energy drop by drop toward spiritual depletion, leaving a need to heal. Pain is part of living, and pain brings us to healing. Elder Jeffrey Holland warned, The world around us is an increasingly hostile and sinful place. Occasionally that splashes onto us, and perhaps, in the case of a few of you, it may be nearly drowning you. You can change. You can be helped. You can be made whole. Whatever the problem, all he asks is that you walk away from the darkness and come into the light. His light with meekness and lowliness of heart. Christ has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and with his stripes we are healed. We can partake of the healing medicine of the atonement of our Savior, who promised, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears, behold, I will heal thee. My second lesson is that healing is active. You have to be there. Your friends, your husband, your wife, your mother cannot do it for you. You have to face the problem and the pain. To begin healing, you must acknowledge and feel the hurt. Only those who don't feel, those without conscience, cannot heal. My mother once told of an experience she had one winter morning as she drove down to check the cattle on the lower pasture. 
She noticed a car off the side of the road and inside recognized a young mother and three children. When my mother asked if they needed help, the woman tearfully reminded her that this was the place of the accident two weeks earlier that killed her husband. And she said, we're just here to feel the hurt. On that first day as a nurse, I assumed cure, care, and healing to be synonymous. I've learned that they're not the same. Healing is not cure. Cure is clean, quick, and done, often under anesthesia. The antibiotic kills the pathogen, the scalpel cuts out the malignancy, the medication resolves the distorted chemistry. But healing is often a lifelong process of recovery and growth in spite of, maybe because of, enduring physical, emotional, or spiritual assault. It requires time. We may pray for cure when we really need healing. Healing for cell reconstruction, for nerve and muscle rehabilitation, for emotional recovery, for spiritual forgiveness needs work and time and energy. Healing cannot happen in a surgical suite where pain is only a sleepy memory. Cure is passive as you submit your body to the practitioner. Healing is active. It requires all the energy of your entire being. You have to be there, fully awake, aware, and participating when it happens. My third lesson is that healing is private. The hymn describes hidden sorrow in a quiet heart. And Saint-Exupéry wrote, It's such a secret place, the land of tears. Elder Neil A. Maxwell taught, There is in the suffering of the highest order a point that is reached, a point of aloneness, when the individual, as did the Savior on a much grander scale, must bear it alone. Even the faithful may wonder if they can take any more or if they're in some way forsaken. Those who stand at the foot of the cross often can do so little to help absorb the pain and the anguish. It is something we must bear ourselves in order that our triumph can be complete. Healing is not only private, it is sacred. Private healing is not healing by abandonment. There is something so sacred about partaking of the power of the atonement to overcome suffering, disappointment, or sin that it happens in the privacy of that special relationship between the mortal and the divine. Healing involves a private personal communion with the Savior, the Master Healer. It inspires a very personal reverence and awe. While on the earth, Jesus often healed in private and then departed. When he healed, he often charged, See thou tell no one, but go thy way. To say that healing is private is not to diminish the marvelous power that comes from the help and compassion of others. Indeed, private healing often may not happen without the help of others. But much of the work of healing is done alone, inside the heart, in the company of the Spirit of the Lord. Such secret healing is not a single event. It happens as a process of living. You can't simply take off a day or start tomorrow like a new diet and return healed. It happens quietly when you face the pain and over time as you live, work, study, and give to others. 
The fourth lesson of the healer's art is that healing teaches us. When we have a terrible loss or pain, we may seek to get back to normal or the way things were before, but they'll never be the same. Pain changes us, but not in the same way that healing teaches us. Healing can help us to become more sensitive and more awake to life. Healing inspires repentance and obedience. Healing invites gifts of humility and faith. It opens our hearts to the profound complexities of things like truth, beauty, divinity, and grace. Orson F. Whitney wrote, No pain that we suffer is wasted. It ministers to our education, to the development of patience, faith, fortitude, and humility. All that we suffer, especially when we endure it patiently, builds up our characters, purifies our hearts, expands our souls, and makes us more tender and charitable, more worthy to be called the children of God. We gain the education we came here to acquire, which will make us more like our Father in heaven. The fifth lesson of learning the healer's art is the obligation and great gift it is to help others to heal. President Hinckley admonished, As members of the Church of Jesus Christ, ours is a ministry of healing, with a duty to bind the wounds and ease the pain of those who suffer. Upon a world afflicted with greed and contention, upon families distressed by argument and selfishness, upon individuals burdened with sin and troubles and sorrows, our prophet has invoked the healing power of Christ. Nearly every day, someone in your path is hurting. Someone is afraid. Someone feels inadequate. Someone needs a friend. Someone needs you to notice, to reach out, and to help him or her to heal. You may not know who that is, and they may not tell you, but you can give encouragement and hope. You can help to heal the wounds of misunderstanding and contention. You can serve in the cause of the Master Healer. The last and greatest lesson of healing is that it is a divine gift that is always there from a loving Heavenly Father. If you have a pain or sorrow or disappointment or sin or just a grudge that needs healing, the Savior simply says, Come unto me. In the last few weeks, I've studied the scriptures reading only the accounts of Jesus' healing. I've been humbled and amazed how much of the Lord's mission on this earth was devoted to healing. When Jesus called and ordained the twelve, he specifically gave them the power to heal and instructed them to go about using their gifts freely. As Jesus healed, the scriptures say, all the people were amazed. They brought their sick, their blind and dumb, those that were possessed with devils, and their dead. They sought him every day and into the evening. So great was his reputation that his healing power, that they sought to only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched were made perfectly whole. And the scriptures say that Jesus went out about all the cities and villages, teaching and preaching the gospel and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. When Nephi was shown the vision of his father Lehi, he saw the multitudes and the sick who were healed by the power of the Lamb of God. 
When the Savior appeared in the Americas, he healed everyone as they were brought. President Hinckley promised Jesus of Nazareth healed the sick among whom he moved. His regenerating power is with us today. His divine teachings, his incomparable example, his matchless life, his all-encompassing sacrifice will bring healing to broken hearts, reconciliation to those who argue and shout, and even peace to warring nations if sought with humility and forgiveness and love. And Elder Holland reminded, that is why we make solemn covenants based on Christ's atoning sacrifice. And that is why we take upon us his name. In as many ways as possible, both figuratively and literally, we try to take upon us his identity. We seek out his teachings and retell his miracles. We send latter-day witnesses around the world to describe his message. We call ourselves his children, and we testify that he is the only source of eternal life. We plead for him to open the gates of heaven in our behalf, and we trust everlastingly that he will. Elder Holland further noted that the Church is like a hospital provide for those who wish to get well. For some, it means to repent. For others, it means simply to live with greater faith. For virtually all of us, it means to live more by the promptings and promises of the Holy Ghost and to press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all men. 182 years ago, the heavens were opened. 160 years ago, the Relief Society began the education of nurses to care for the healing needs of the saints. Fifty years ago at BYU, a college of nursing was born to enable students to learn science, skill, and healing. But today, all of us at this university, with its divine mission, have a unique opportunity to come to know the master healer and to learn the healer's art. I leave you my testimony that he lives, the Savior, the master healer, the one with healing in his wings. I leave this testimony in his name, Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Overcoming Adversity podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on love and marriage by study and by faith. Come follow me, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer, Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on Podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.